The Forward Thinking CFO podcast is brought to you by the team at Nemeritus, your financial modeling partner. We're trusted modeling advisors to global leaders, ranging from FTSE 100 corporations to major infrastructure providers to fund managers with billions under management. But we're more than just modelers. Our team are true experts who understand your business and create solutions to help you overcome your challenges and give you the confidence you need to make your critical business decisions. To find out more about how we can help you solve your toughest business challenges, please visit our website at nemeritas.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Forward Thinking CFO podcast. I'm Stephen Aldridge, Managing Director at Numeritas and one of your hosts for this series. In today's episode, I speak to Sahil Rishi, CFO at Sedgwick International UK, the leading provider of insurance and company benefit solutions to businesses all over the world. Unlike many who know that finance is the career for them from the time they go to university, Sahil's journey was rather different. He was set on making it in the world of entertainment before a chance call from a recruiter, which led him down a different path. After training with Moore Stevens, Sahil jumped out into industry with MF Global, finding himself in the middle of a high-profile Chapter 11 bankruptcy and the liquidation of the now-defunct fund manager. Not one to shy away from a challenge, he then moved to the Cambion Group, playing an instrumental role in the IPO and subsequent restructure and formation of the finance function that followed. Sahil knew that he wanted to climb to the top in finance and, following his success at Cambion, went on to become UK Finance Director for Egon Zender, before landing his first CFO role at Sedgwick International. For many finance professionals, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy or an IPO is a career-defining event, something that happens once in a lifetime. Sahil's been through both, and much more on top of that. With such an eventful career to date, it was great to have a chance to speak to him for the podcast and dig deep into his career and advice for finance professionals like you, looking to make it to the top. We cover a whole host of topics, including Sahil's candid insights on major bankruptcy and a large-scale IPO, and his advice for you if you're managing a major financial event for your company, good or bad. What challenges he faced when he took on his first CFO role at Sedgwick, and how COVID-19 has affected both his plans for the finance function and his role throughout 2020. And his advice for aspiring CFOs, why you need to be seen as a driver of change, and the skills you need to focus on as you progress through your finance career. I really enjoyed this conversation with Sahil. His first-hand experience working on some notable finance events was truly fascinating, and this conversation is packed full of advice to help you. Whether you're currently working on an IPO, or you're wanting to know what you need to do to take the next step up in your career, I know you're going to enjoy this interview. So, with the intro done and dusted, please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of the Forward Thinking CFO with Sahil Rishi. So today's guest is Sahil Rishi. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Sahil. Good to have you on. Thank you, Stephen. Good to be here. Good, good. So welcome. And the first step when we uh, do these forward-thinking CFO podcasts is we like to find out a little bit about your background and uh, how it is that you got to be the forward-thinking CFO you are today. So could you give us a little rundown of your career history and in particular key stepping stones or decision points that you took to get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I actually never intended to pursue a career in finance and accountancy. I actually had grander plans to work in the entertainment sector, but uh, fell into it after an unexpected phone call from a recruiter. 
then I did some soul searching, you know, various conversations with family and friends, and I decided to apply for a job in uh, practice, working in audit. So stayed there for around three years, qualified, and then I moved to a core accounting role in a uh, large financial services business. Sadly, that company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and I left to take a role at Camden Group, which is a residential healthcare business. And that role was actually pivotal for me. I gained an enormous amount of experience. And by the time I left, I was managing a large team and I was the number two to the group CFO in a listed company. So then after that, which was a roller coaster four years, I took my first number one role at uh, Egon Zender, which is an executive search and leadership advisory firm. I've since left there and I'm currently the uh, UK CFO for Sedgwick, which is a claims management and loss adjusting business. So, uh, yeah, that I have to say is kind of the classic finance progression most of the people we talk to have more circuitous routes but you, you seem to have taken kind of the almost the planned route even though it sounds like that wasn't the case uh, initially it was a lot of hard work getting there but uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, gone but, relatively to plan so far I, I don't doubt that at all yeah so um i know it was relatively junior in your career early on in your career that you were involved or you know kind of encountered this chapter 11 bankruptcy which is i think the the u.s legal form and this was uh something that i think uh hopefully most of us won't be involved in but i'm sure that you learned a lot of lessons from that could you tell us a little bit about that and uh your involvement in the process and, and i suppose what you learned from it as well in particular yeah sure i mean i wasn't really involved with the uh with the chapter 11 bankruptcy itself it was uh it was in the u.s so it was a u.s uh owned business and the uk business uh which i worked for was a, a relatively strong company and I was still very early in my career back then. I mean, what I remember the most when I think back on that time was just how many people lost their jobs literally overnight. You know, it was very sad. Many of them had worked at the company for many years uh, and they hoped to retire there. You know, one day everything was pretty normal. And the next, you know, a lot of people had lost their jobs and, you know, and that, and that company was, you know, heading in the wrong direction. You know, of course, you know, the reality was it's much more gradual than that. And, you know, the writings were on the wall fairly early on and that's come through through a lot of the investigations uh, that have happened since. Yeah, and you can see those on the internet if you, if, you, if you search for it. So I can't really comment on specifics, but you know, I, an interesting lesson I've learned is one in corporate governance. And I think you know, if you do decide to kind of look it up on the internet, you'll see what I mean. Yeah, I, I, that's right. So key lesson there is really corporate governance is, is uh, always important. Following your time at MF Global, you then joined the Cambian Group, uh, which, as you said, uh, grew very rapidly. And the, the team there, I think, grew that you were managing grew from about four people to 65. Is that right? Yeah, yeah around that, yeah. And um, I guess that's quite a meteoric shift. Did you, how did that uh, transition go? And what were the kind of important skills you needed uh, for yourself? And, and I guess in the team as you were growing that, um, and, and, you know, how did, how did that transition go from you probably taking quite a large hands-on role to, I guess, essentially becoming much more of a, in, into a leadership role and uh, having other people do that. Yeah, sure. So, I, I mean, Cambian, as I mentioned, was was a very pivotal role for me. I joined there as a finance manager, which was to manage the AP uh, and the accounting team, the accounts payable and the accounting team. I think the team at that time that I was looking after had about six people in it. And by the time I left Cambian, I, I left as a group controller, you know, managing a very large team after the company had completed its IPO. So I didn't actually join when the team was that large. It kind of expanded. You know, I was there as the company grew and evolved. 
you know, during that time as well, the company doubled in size, you know, mainly for M&A activity and also went through a listing. So, you know, I had to build and lead a, a, a team through that change. Yeah, it was an extremely challenging time. It tested my resilience. Uh, and it actually, the thing it learned, taught me was uh, you know, how to hire good people. Yeah, and as you can imagine, you know, when you're hiring, you know, that many people trying to build a function, you, know, you don't always get it right. You know, so you learn from your mistakes. But I was proud of kind of what we achieved during my time there. And, uh, you know, that role really set me up for, for where I am today. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I guess there were additional t- skills that you had to learn along the way. Was that a big change? Do you, is you're going from a relatively junior position initially and you know, having to hire lots of people, change your style a bit? Yes, it's one of those interesting things where, you know, what got you to where you are is not necessarily going to be the same skills that will make you successful moving forward. You know, when you're, when you're going, you're trying to climb the ladder and, you know, progress your career, you know, it's, it's often your technical ability that gets you the promotions and gets you to the next step. And then you get to a point where, you know, having the technical ability is obviously, you know, important, but it's the leadership and the stakeholder management and some of the softer skills. That are really going to help you, yeah. And that's and that's kind of the journey that um, that I started at Cambian. And you know, one of the main reasons I went to Egon Zender was actually to, you know, to, it was in recognition that you know I had a lot of work to do in that area, and it felt like a very good place, given what they do for a living, to build and hone those skills. And at Cambian Group, you were involved in the IPO. I think played quite a, a an instrumental role in that, and I guess in the the restructure. Another thing that a lot of people won't ever get the chance to be involved is is, is uh, an IPO. It'd be good to hear something about that and you know what your role was in in that and uh, you know any kind of lessons learned that you think would be valuable to people. Sure. So uh, prior to the IPO, um, I so I joined Cambian Group when the private equity uh, firm were quite close to what would be kind of the end of the normal life cycle. So they were already thinking around you know potential exit strategy. So prior to the actual IPO, which happened in April 2014, the investors had kind of sought to do a trade or secondary PE deal. And I was very fortunate to have bosses who let me get involved with stuff that was above my pay grade. And so I got involved with those processes first gradually. And then you know, as we went into the IPO process, uh, you know, in quite, quite an instrumental role. So, you know, at the time, the just to paint a bit of a picture and give a bit of context, at the time of the IPO, the incumbent PE backers, they also brought together three of their portfolio business into one group and floated the combined group. So it wasn't a company that was being floated and you know, had all the financials for that company already. It had to all kind of be built from scratch. So about six months prior to the IPO as well, they brought in a new CFO, uh, the incumbent FD and the controller left, and that's the point at which I was promoted. So my promotion to group controller actually happened just, just before the IPO. And you know I'd, we'd lost the, uh, the incumbent FD and controller, so it was really me and the new CFO. So yeah, it was it was a challenge time. I learned a lot as well during that time. I mean, in terms of the process itself, the parts I remember as being kind of particularly challenging were you know, building the what was called the historical data book, which basically formed the basis for telling the company's financial journey, you know, telling the story of that journey from inception to to the point of IPO. The consolidation, the actual financial consolidation of three different groups, which all reported under different standards and different accounting policies. And doing a, a very quite complicated UK gap to IFRS conversion at the same time. That's quite complicated. I think there were about sixty plus companies in total, so it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, a simple kind of exercise to go through. Uh, there was a lot of DD, 
Now, I work specifically on the financial and legal DD, but there's a lot of operational DD, HR, you know, all the different the different the functions were, uh, were put through the ringer. And then, you know, writing, putting together prospectus, analyst presentations, there's various accountant reports that need to be completed as part of the process. You know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of lot to do. And, you know, I did all that while running BAU. So, you know, worked unthinkable hours for a very, very long time. Uh, I actually used to joke I had two jobs, BAU role in the day and the IPO work at night. My wife wasn't very happy at that time. I think that's probably a common experience for people who've worked in transaction, uh, that sort of transaction environment and transaction services as well, that uh, they do tend to be fast and furious. Yeah, and doing that on top of um, the day job is is uh, quite a big challenge. You've recently joined Cedric uh, International as their CFO following your time at Econ Zender. And there you had responsibility for finance, legal, tax and treasury. What was it about the opportunity at Cedric that made you decide to make the leap from Egon Zender? And uh, it, was there anything in particular that made you think it was the right time to move? Yes, yeah, so, uh, as I said, um, I joined Egon Zender for kind of two reasons. One was that I recognised that I had some gaps in the softer skill set that I felt needed to be filled uh, in order to be a good CFO. Um, and I felt that Egon Zender was you know, the best place to do that. And secondly, it was kind of the opportunity to get your first number one role, which is not you know, not an easy thing to accomplish. So, you know, things things that I wanted to work on there were like leadership, influencing stakeholder management, presentation capability, and all that, you know, all that softer stuff. Yeah, and so when I got there, you know, I, I, had, I had my own agenda to, to work on those kind of areas. But I also, obviously, from a functional perspective, saw big opportunities to make, you know, some big improvements in the finance function. You know, and those opportunities ended up being a two-year wholesale change of the function. And to be honest with you, the reason I left was because I realized it was time for a change. I completed that program. I'd been able to um, bring my controller, you know, who I brought into the business, you know, up to the point that he was ready to take over. And so I was keen to kind of, from a personal point of view, I was comfortable with where I'd left things. I knew it was in good hands with, with my successor. And I was personally keen to get back into a, a kind of dynamic and fast-paced private equity-backed business. Uh, and Cedric gave me that opportunity. So do you think your early experience really kind of led you towards that uh, because you, you, you know, you, you'd been already in a kind of fast and furious situation with the transaction, the IPO and the, the huge growth at Cambian. And then I guess you're, you're, you're almost kind of into transaction mode or if you like transformation mode there. And that sounds like that's a bit what you did at Econ Zender as well, is it? Yeah, I think that's where I feel comfortable. You know, we got to the point at Egon Zender where it was business as usual. And, you know, I felt that, you know, that was probably better suited to uh, to someone else. You know, I'm, I, I like going into organizations, you know, making a difference, making improvements, helping to drive, you know, change. And, you know, that, that's kind of what I like doing. And private equity almost lends itself to that, given the life cycle those businesses go through. That's kind of where I seem to find myself. Uh, yeah, I suppose the nature of uh, private equity is that they try to transform a business to add value and then usually sell it on, don't they? So, yeah, it sounds like you're a good fit for that. You've, um, so you've been at Sedgwick a relatively short time. It's just coming up for a year, I think, isn't it? About eight months, yeah. Yeah. So I guess you're still in that early stage of, you know, kind of maybe uh, shaping the business the way you think it should be. Uh, is uh, Obviously, that's uh, where you are at the moment. It might be a little bit more sensitive. So, but uh, is there anything you can share about what your plans are 
for what you've achieved so far and what your plans are over the next few months? I've got a lot of work to do, I can say that much. <laughs> and yeah, I've already made some some big changes. I think we've made some you know, kind of really big improvements since I've been there. So I, I expect that journey to continue into the future. Um, obviously, nobody expected the current uh, unprecedented situation that we find ourselves since that's also added a, a new dimension to the role that uh, I hadn't anticipated. No, I, I don't think anybody saw that coming, did they? Well, not in a way that we, we kind of would have planned for it. So, yeah, you're not alone in that respect. I suppose um, you've kind of alluded to the, the fact that the, the CFO role is one of strategy and, and transformation. But there's a bit of a balance there, isn't there, in terms of defining what the strategy should be, uh, but then also driving the implementation of that. And, and is that um, something you, you think is sits easily or is it is there conflict between those two things do you find you you manage both areas uh well or do you kind of you focus on one and get somebody else to do the other yeah i think the role of the cfo is to drive change in the organization yeah it will depend on the size of organization the complexity the dynamic in the organization that yeah there's a lot of different uh factors at play to determine what type of role the cfo will play in driving change but i think yeah, at the heart of it, you know, it is their role to drive that change. I think from a, you know, from a strategic standpoint, you know, the CFO could add a lot of value in setting strategy, getting everyone in the business, all the key players, you know, you don't have to be senior individuals, it could be just different functions, bringing them all together and taking them on the journey. I think that's an important part of the skill set. And the key difference between, say, being a controller or being a CFO is that you now have to have strong leadership capability to deliver that change through others rather than necessarily taking the lead on you know actually doing the implementation you know clearly you can't do everything on your own so it's i think it's really important and it's something i've learned is that the key to success i think in driving change but also more broadly is having a a really strong have a senior team around you you know people with the strengths maybe that you don't you know that you lack or that you're you're not stronger at so that you know together you're stronger because you've got complementary skill sets so yeah, I've delivered quite a bit of change. And what I'd say is if you to try and deliver it on your own, it's tough and lonely. And, um, you know, there's always bumps in the road. And it's good to have you know, a good team that you can uh, you can kind of share that with and brainstorm to get you back on track and you know, share the successes when you actually do deliver. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, good, good advice. So moving on a little bit to maybe some, you know, things that you've learned now, which could be useful to other people. We have listeners who will be aspiring to be a CFO at some point. You've done various roles in finance roles in, in various different sectors. Uh, some people tend to stay in one sector. Do you think that, um, you know, that, that moving around the sectors has been a, a, a useful thing? Has that been difficult? Um, and, you know, is there any advice you've got uh, for people there about maybe which industry to go on or, or is, is industry not a particularly important thing for the finance function? I mean, from, from my experience, I found the sectors affected kind of the shape of the role itself. I think it's more the company, uh, the kind of the stage the company is in its life cycle, say the ownership structure, whether it's private equity back, PLC or a partnership, because that, that, that is, they are very different. And the role of the you know, FD or CFO is very different in, in those different kind of ownership structures. And I think the finance function more broadly can have different roles to play depending on that environment. And I've personally always been industry agnostic. I personally believe finance skills are, completely transferable across sectors uh, and companies, you know, unless you have a heavy regulation uh, and a regulatory angle. I think the key difference is actually culture. 
you know, that fit isn't right, then I think you know, everything becomes a bit of a struggle. So that fit's got to be really good. But having said all that, yeah, I do recognize that some industries are harder to penetrate if you don't start in them early. You know, sectors like retail, music, you know, film, for example. So if you really are set on a sector, one of those sectors or a sector where it's harder to penetrate, then I would try and get into that sector early in your career. But personally, I've always followed the role rather than the sector. That's interesting. It's an argument we, we well, argument is maybe the wrong word, but it's a discussion we have with a lot of clients, uh, particularly if they're new ones to us, where we think uh, that that uh, finance largely is, is and we're certainly fairly sector agnostic as well. So yeah, interesting to hear you say that. You've made some quite big jumps in each stage in your career, and you know the thinking back to the move from MF Global to Cambion and then Cambion to Egon. Uh, is there anything that you think would have been useful to know? as you approached each of those steps that um, that would have made a difference to, to the, way, the way you'd gone about it, or at least would be useful to other people who are uh, following a similar kind of progression? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of, you know, I found the biggest jump in my career so far was FC to kind of FD. I think they're quite different roles, and I think this is kind of, I'll go back to my point where, you know, the skills that got you to where you are are necessarily going to make you successful moving forward. So I had to work quite hard at that, and I'm, you know, I still am. Yeah, I'm still on a, a personal development journey to kind of you know keep improving. I guess looking back, yeah, you know, I wish I'd had the opportunity to sit down with a CFO and kind of ask all of those questions that uh, that you kind of have, you know, and some some of them still do, you know. And it would better pay you for the role if you could have an honest conversation with the CFO around, uh, you know, what the role's like, you know, how they feel, you know, what are the skills that you need to work on, you know, how do you lead a large group of people you know all, all those sort of things that you can't you don't get the opportunity to ask kind of day to day so that, that would have been a great opportunity i, I would encourage people to get a mentor uh, preferably someone who's doing a role which you aspire to but it doesn't have to be it can just be someone who you look up to and respect and um you know use all the knowledge that you get from talking to that person to pay for that role yeah i think uh yeah having a mentor sounds like the the a good way to get that and uh I'm not sure that that's something a lot of people do. So, yeah, good advice. As we record this, we're having to do this remotely because we're in uh, in COVID-19 lockdown still, although it's starting to ease a little bit now. How's that uh, affected your priorities? And, and I mean, has everything else had to go on hold while you're kind of dealing with the the sort of problems that are right in front of us now? Or are you able to still move things forward strategically? Nothing slowed down. So everything that we've had to do with regard to the current situations on top. You know, I work for a P-backed US business and thirst for information and financial reporting on the health and trajectory of the business has been greater than ever. So, you know, the FP&A team have been pretty busy. Obviously, cash flow has been a focus. Uh, you know, that's always a priority, but, you know, uh, now more than ever. I, was, you know, I think that's uh, the case for, for every business. In terms of priorities, uh, personal priorities, I'd say there's been kind of more of a focus for us on kind of identifying what the future of the workplace looks like. How does that tie into the cost base? You know, are there any learnings from the pandemic that we can take into a future operating model of the business? You know, leverage some of the technology that we've invested in previously, you know, to improve our business processes, but also the technology that's available in terms of for communication. And, you know, we're doing this on Teams. That they are. I've never used Teams before this pandemic and now, you know, pretty well versed in the, in how it all works. So, you know, I think those are the priorities is more thinking what's the future look like 
given some of the opportunities that this current situation has opened up for the business. Yeah, we're all having to work in a different way, aren't we? And I, I suspect that uh, that will that will have a, a long-lasting effect in terms of the way we we operate. Yeah, like you say, with Teams, for example, um, it's, it's something that's relatively new to certainly to to our company, but we're using it for for all sorts as well. One of the sort of regular questions we ask is in terms of those listeners of ours who have their eyes set on becoming a CFO one day. What are the top three things that you think they should be focusing on now to help them put towards that so they can land that dream job in the future? I think the first is just really you know, do a really good job right now in what you're doing. Go above and beyond. Make sure everything that you're doing is of the highest quality. You know, reputations, recommendations, they, those are key to getting a CFO job. It's quite a small world out there. So do a really good job right now. Second, I'd say find out what your gaps are. You know, get the experience, you know, knowledge and skills. You need to fill those gaps. You know, put your hand up for projects, pieces of work, you know, and roles that you know, give you that experience. You know, you may not go down a traditional route, but that's fine. You know, there's a lot of candidates become, you know, becoming, you know, doing good big CFO roles that didn't go down a say traditional accounting route, for example. And I think the lot, you know, lastly, just keep learning. You know, I think uh, people who who want to do these jobs are the, the kind of people who want to just constantly learn new things. You know, there's that kind of curiosity. Personally, I spend a lot of my time reading uh, articles, watching talks, listening to podcasts. You know, I think it's the best way to get an edge on everyone else. Yeah, I think uh, constant learning is is a theme that's coming out from a lot of these interviews. Lastly, as we kind of start to to wrap up now, the uh, this is the Forward Thinking CFO podcast. So for senior finance professionals and CFOs, people in your sort of position. What sort of things do you think they should be focusing on over the next, say, six to 12 months, a sort of short-term horizon, and then the kind of five-year, slightly longer-term, more strategic horizon? I mean, the first thing I'd say, like five years just seems like an eternity now in today's day and age. You know, we're living in a world where, you know, things are evolving so quickly that, you know, we need to be dynamic and agile enough to adapt to changing demands, technologies in a much shorter time frame than that. So when we're talking about kind of strategic plans, yeah, you know, we're looking at a two-year horizon max. You know, five years is, you know, it's just too long. In terms of kind of key priorities, you know, I think I've touched on the bits. I think technology and digital are big buzzwords and big priorities for many businesses. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that businesses have done. You, know, you look at the retail sector, it's just transformed with technology. But I think there's a lot of other sectors that, you know, are ripe for, you know, for transformation. Yeah, Cedric as a company is investing a lot in technology, you know, and um, yeah, I think the focus is all around just meeting consumer demand that's now out there yeah, and improving customer experience. Those are the kind of two things that we've got to ground ourselves in. I think the pandemic has, you know, had a really big effect, catastrophic effect on some of those businesses that haven't embraced digital fully yet. Uh, I think there's an opportunity to deploy better technologies in the finance function as well. You know, and it's not just business, it's finance. Yeah, there's basic transactional activities, you know, that can be automated where technology can, you know, streamline processes, make them quicker and cheaper to do. Yeah, and I still think many businesses are way behind you know, on this. Yeah, it's not just the big businesses are there, that's not the case at all. So I think there's a big opportunity there. Yeah, I touched on it as well uh, around the workplace and the concept of kind of changing careers. I think the current lockdown situation has accelerated those topics. Personally, I don't think we're going to move to full home-based environments, but people certainly want more flexibility in a way that was not 
uh, considered viable you know five years ago and i think the businesses are going to need to find a way to to make those you know those those demands or those expectations work so i think those are going to be the focuses really yeah but both in the immediate term in the kind of the year six to twelve month period but also you know longer term and i think two years is a <laughs> is a decent time frame to think about the long term yeah as you say technology is moving so fast that two years feels like a long time these days doesn't it yeah okay We've kind of reached the end there in terms of, you know, you've answered our uh, sort of magic question at the end. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or anything that you think we've left out that uh, is, is something that we should be should have talked about that people should know about? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered off you know, what, what we wanted to. Okay. Thanks very much, Sahil, for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you on. Some really interesting advice, you know, and, and uh interesting to walk through your background and and uh, hear what kind of lessons you've learned from that so thanks very much and uh good having you on thanks a lot thanks for having me thanks bye-bye bye we're keen to hear your thoughts on this episode so please do get in touch at info at numeritas.co.uk if you'd like to find out more about sahil or any of the companies he's worked for you can find information on that on his linkedin profile and there's a link to that in the show notes for this episode And if you've enjoyed the podcast series so far, please pass it on to colleagues and friends who might be interested. And why not subscribe using your favourite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes of the Forward Thinking CFO. The Forward Thinking CFO podcast is brought to you by the team at Nemeritus, your financial modelling partner. We're trusted modelling advisors to global leaders, ranging from FTSE 100 corporations to major infrastructure providers to fund managers with billions under management. But we're more than just modelers. Our team are true experts who understand your business and create solutions to help you overcome your challenges and give you the confidence you need to make your critical business decisions. To find out more about how we can help you solve your toughest business challenges, please visit our website at emeritus.co.uk.